Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Juliet Rousel. Juliet is a reporter at Supply Management Magazine, the hard copy publication from SIPS. In the April-June 2022 edition, she wrote an article titled, What Happens When Politics Snare Supply? And it opens like this. Amid Russia's war on Ukraine, already stretched global supply chains went into meltdown over access to commodities and how suppliers reflect political alliances. I was instantly enthralled by the article, and Juliet was gracious enough to accept my invitation to join me here on the podcast to discuss it. So hi, Juliet. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for having us on. So the cool thing about this, although most of the, the Sourcing Hero audience knows me in podcast form, in my heart, I'm a writer. So I'm very jealous of you and your role and of the work that you're doing at Supply Management Magazine. Can you just tell us a little bit more about your professional journey to this point and how you ended up doing what you do today? Well, I've been at Supply Management Magazine now for just under a year and a half. Um, and I think I couldn't have uh, joined a more exciting but hectic time you know that's true Uh, because I joined last summer um well just at the start of summer when you know in the UK there was mass worker shortages HGV truck drivers were massively in demand and the UK was just having so many problems trying to get you know supply from A to B um and you know coming out of COVID and all the problems everyone had with trying to procure uh so um procure PPE and, you know, the COVID vaccine, it really couldn't be a more exciting uh, and busy time trying to write about supply chains and procurement. No, you're absolutely right. You you definitely picked the right time for supply chain. <laughs> Although I do have to say, having been in this space for a while, it's always been this exciting and this crazy. It's just that in most cases, other people didn't know. So we're we're glad now that you're part of the community and that you're covering these articles, you're covering these topics. When you and I spoke in preparation for this interview, we had exchanged thoughts about the fact that supply chain management as a discipline, as a corporate function, is running into all of these areas where we seem to be getting political, right? In my intro, I mentioned Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That has made things more complex. There are different types of trade agreements worldwide. And in fact, before we finish our conversation today, we're going to touch on maybe how geopolitics is incentivizing increased levels of trade protectionism. And yet the traditional wisdom is when you're at your job, you should stay away from the political things. 
So what is your advice to supply chain and procurement professionals that suddenly find themselves dealing with some of these hot button issues that we can't necessarily shy away from? So I think at the moment, I think it's it's kind of impossible to um, to avoid the politics at the moment. And I don't think that should necessarily be something that people uh, should be scared of. Take climate change, for example. Uh, I know that various governments and various politicians have very much tried to politicise climate change. Um, but actually, if you look at the kind of scientific agreement, climate change, you know, is a, it's a scientific fact. And it is a fact that businesses need to be responding to it. Um, and I think if businesses don't respond to it now, they are going to have to pay the prices of that, you know, in the future, long time down the line. You know, you look at young people and you look at, you know, young consumers. I was reading the other day about how three quarters of Gen Z consumers, for example, say sustainability is more important to them than brand name. And I think that just shows that consumers are becoming increasingly, increasingly more aware of their supply chains. I think even if people don't talk 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 in terms of supply chain lexicon and they don't talk about, you know, procurement and this this kind of language. I think people and consumers are really starting to care about the impact that the companies they're buying from, you know, the impact that they're having on the planet, the uh, the labor that goes into the products they're buying. Um, so I really think that if businesses don't act now to try and tackle some of those ESG issues, the modern slavery issues, you know, there's just going to be no market for them in the future at all. No, I completely agree with you. And it's interesting because certainly there's been a lot of examples in the U.S. where either companies or executives, individual executives from companies ran afoul by sort of blurring the line between what do they say in their official capacity as a, a member of a, in many cases, publicly traded company, um, and where do they feel personally. And those things do impact consumers. I think not only do those sorts of stories very quickly go to the headlines, but now with the democratization that we have from social media, everyone has a voice. And so individual consumers through their chosen platform can not only vote with their wallet, which was sort of the traditional way of responding, either in favor of or in protest against a company that doesn't work the way they want it to work. Uh, but you can also literally make a statement in video, in audio and word. And one of the things, and this is this is a rare treat for me because I don't think I've ever, thinking really quick, no, I don't think I've ever had a member of what I would consider the media on the podcast before. And I don't presume to know how this works in the UK or in Europe, but I will tell you in the US, your understanding of current events is very much based upon which sources of information you choose to get your news from. And so depending on where you read, that is going to have an influence probably reinforcing on how you feel. And I greatly admire the way you covered the politicization of supply chains in your article because you used examples from different U.S. administrations. There were Republican administrations. There were Democratic administrations reflected in the examples that you used. So my question to you is, at least speaking for the U.S., since we can't always count 
on general media to be unbiased in their coverage of things that do affect our understanding of supply chains and trade regulation and commodities. Do you have any advice about how we can stay informed without allowing ourselves to be overly polarized or have existing biases confirmed by what we're reading? How, how do you find that middle line when you're trying to cover a topic like this? That's a really interesting question, Kelly. I suppose part of it is, you know, I suppose this is just very general kind of advice, really, but it is, you know, making sure that you are reading those multiple news sources, but also just going to the news itself, you know, uh, and actually looking at what Biden is saying on chips, for example, you know, and actually examining um, what it is that is being said without the spin, I suppose. But, um, you know, there's there's always going to be spin, isn't there? Um, and you Unfortunately, know, Unfortunately, I think there is. You know, and you'll always find news that is going to... Uh, support whatever kind of mindset you're in you know you're always going to find news which is going to infuriate you you know um so it is about you know and I suppose it's just about talking to other people in the field as well and kind of getting an understanding uh and being open with with your suppliers um and also just having that collaboration and open communication with the industry and actually saying you know how are you finding this how is this impacting you I suppose um yeah, to get an understanding of the the real life impact, I suppose. I mean, it certainly makes supply chain an interesting place to work. You know, you made the comment that you picked the perfect time, assuming you like drama, you <laughs> picked the perfect time to join a publication that covers supply chain. And many people who've worked in the field for a long time, we're so inside of what's happening that we don't necessarily have an objective view of how all of these changing external circumstances are going to have an impact on our career prospects. And so as a, as a relative newcomer to supply chain, I'd be interested on your perspective and whether this is something you hear from conversations with your colleagues at Supply Management Magazine or things that you observe in discussions on social media, or even you know whether you're interviewing people, does this come across? Do you think that the currently elevated or spotlighted role of supply chain worldwide uh, has materially changed the career trajectory for, for dedicated professionals in the field? I don't know about the career trajectory, so to say, but I think it has undoubtedly raised the profile and raised the level of opportunity for those in the field, undoubtedly. Like, you look at how COVID massively increased the profile of supply chains and supply professionals, all of a sudden, you know, especially here in the UK and it be the case across the world, that um, suddenly supply chains, you know, the headline news. I was having someone say to me the other day that they felt that the word supply chain should be the word of the year, you know, because all of a sudden it went from being this, you know, relatively unknown term and something that people thought was quite complex to all of a sudden everyone's heard of supply chain difficulties, even if they don't understand exactly the nuances of that and where they've come from, suddenly supply chain is is something that people talk about, you know, even in a casual environment. Um, so I think, you know, I think those in the sector should try and use that as an opportunity to try and um, push through maybe some more innovative and interesting 
strategies that they might have not had the opportunity to before. You know, there's people like me, you know, <laughs> scrutinizing supply chains. And I think when you've got the media kind of uh, especially scrutinizing you at the moment, I think that's a good incentive for uh, supply managers and procurement professionals to turn around to the C-suite and say, look, we've got this really interesting and innovative uh, project we want to do. We've got more scrutiny on us than ever. We really need to uh, tighten up our supply chains, you know, and they can use that leverage to really try and um, push things forward, I think. Well, and I'm certainly in favor of supply chain as as business term of the year. I, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say I've even noticed um, certainly procurement is even you know lower profile perhaps than supply chain, especially in terms of, of general media. I think procurement is a little bit more yeah. detailed, doesn't tend to get the coverage. But even I have noticed, you know, you go from you're at a party or a gathering. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm in corporate procurement supply chain. And you you can feel the yawn being stifled. Well, over the last 18 months, all of a sudden, all eyes are now on you, right? And, mm-hmm. and I do think the general sense of awareness creates an opportunity for us not only to leverage our capabilities and, as you pointed out rightly, get the attention of the C-suite, but also perhaps to get the resources and the training that we need to handle the changes that continue to come because it's it's not done. And it's interesting because you went in one piece from looking at how the situation in Ukraine has affected supply chains and how we think and talk about supply chains to moving on to a subsequent piece that looks at the rise of trade protectionism worldwide. Uh, so I'd be curious to know, based on the conversation that we've had what do you think are the pieces from your article on trade protectionism that kind of connect into this larger theme of trying to do our jobs as supply chain professionals in a very complex world, acknowledging the politics, but without allowing it to take control? Um, what would you add from that second article to what we've already discussed? So I think to start with, I'll just uh, clarify to anyone listening what protectionism uh, means. So protectionism is where countries and governments look to prioritise their national supply, often through export bans, uh, in a bid to try and protect their own supply of a certain material. Um, We've seen this a lot since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, Indonesia, for example, imported export bans on palm oil. Malaysia imported export bans on chickens. Um, and in fact, 24 countries, um, last time I checked, had introduced export bans on food items, which actually covered 17% of global calories traded, which is actually, that's one almost one in five calories. That is a huge number. Wow. Um, you know, and why is this important? You know, so this, a lot of people have been talking about, is the world deglobalizing? Um, and, you know, I think these policies would suggest Yes, to a certain extent. Um, You know, you have both the US and the EU implementing semiconductor acts to try and become less reliant on China, for example. Um, But these policies overall, they're making global supply chains less integrated. Um, And various people I spoke to for the article said that this increasingly insular approach to global trade and supply chains and procurement is actually directly threatening geopolitical equilibrium, which sounds terrifying, but it just shows the impact um, the procurement and supply chains and trade has in the current um, political um, equilibrium. You know, after all, the EU 
had its origins in post-World War II trade and uh, collaboration agreements. Um, so I think that's just a good reminder to keep in mind of like actually how political these agreements are and how fundamental they are to how we view the world and how we view geopolitical relations. I think, and you know, you bring up post-World War II sort of restructuring and how that ultimately led to the EU. I, I haven't thought about this in a while, but I love you reminding us of the point that we do in fact have to be students of history in order to be good business decision makers because all of this comes into the context. So when we, we think about how the role and the visibility of supply chains have changed, uh, it's actually very exciting. I think for, for anyone that is not overwhelmed by the uncertainty, the constant changeability, I mean, there, there is a fatigue that comes with constantly dealing with risk, right? That's, that's a difficult thing. We have to be aware of it and handle it as teams. Um, but I certainly wouldn't choose to be any other place doing anything else. I feel fortunate to be in this space. And I'm actually very proud of how my colleagues still in the trenches have, have dealt with the last couple of years. You know, it's, it's easy for me to say, oh my gosh, so exciting to be in supply chain. But in truth, I do have a seat on the sidelines, as sad as that makes me to admit. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think as a profession, we have risen to the challenge exceptionally well, uh, which actually provides me with a great transition to the last question I want to ask you. And this is a long-standing tradition here on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Juliet, everyone who joins me gets the option to answer one of two questions. Um, so let me give you those two questions, and I'll give you a second to think, and then I'm, I'm interested to hear your answer. So your choices are, what would your definition of a sourcing hero be, or how would you describe heroism in a larger business context? So which, which one of those questions appeals to you and what are your thoughts? I really like this idea of business heroism. Um, I think, especially at the moment, everyone is operating in such difficult circumstances. And what you were saying actually just got me thinking on a kind of personal level you know, I think the thing is with supply chains at the moment, and especially with uh, inflation, um, you know, supply chain workers and procurement workers are aware of the cost increases before it gets passed on to domestic costs. So I think actually, you know, I, my heart really goes out to everyone kind of working in this field, because me as a journalist, as you said, kind of being a bit more on the sidelines, it's been stressful to even be following this topic at times, because you know, energy prices in the UK, for example, they've gone up a crazy amount. I think they're going up, they're going to be year on year 230% higher than they were last year, you know, come October. Um, and, you know, all these price increases are predicted, well, not predicted, but they're seen in the supply chain before they're seen domestically. Um, so to even work in the sector, I can understand is a massive, you know, mental burden at times just knowing that the whole country and the whole world is in many ways sleepwalking um into a crisis um so i think even just coping and surviving um in the current climate especially small businesses out there i think even that is just uh an act of kind of heroism in the kind of literary sense of just being braving out these horrendous 
supply chain and economic circumstances. Um, but also, I suppose, in terms of business heroism, you know, I'm really interested in businesses and companies who are doing really great innovative, innovative things. Um, so, you know, there's, I know there's companies out there who take, who try and feed into the circular economy and, you know, they take unused bread and they turn it into beer, you know, um, to try and make sure that food waste um, is being tackled. So I think all these things in, in which people are trying to be innovative and tackle ESG problems and feed into the circular economy and think, how can we use business for good and how can we use business to try and do something cool and do something innovative? I think that for me is the is the business heroism. Well, Juliet, I thoroughly enjoy your work. I'm glad you're in the space covering supply chain with a critical objective eye. And I would like to add, I will sit next to you on the sidelines absolutely any day. Uh, so for people that have listened in to our conversation that are interested in your perspective, would perhaps like to connect with you so that they can learn more, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just give me a search, Juliet Russell. Um, and I'll, I'll be happy to uh, have a chat with anyone. Um, so yeah, get in contact, drop us an email. Um, so yeah, get in touch. Excellent, Juliet. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Kelly. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.